Turn with me back in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 20, and uh, from verse 17 to 38, and I'll be, as I said in the earlier, preaching two sermons uh, today and, and next Lord's Day evening from um, Paul's farewell speech to this church, the, the church at Ephesus, the, the Ephesian elders. Um, so it, so in, our, in our morning meetings as well, I've been preaching just about the, the nature of the church and um, um, saying that it's, been, it's an opportunity as we think through, through that to, to reflect and reassess and you know, correct maybe our wrong views that we might sometimes have of church life and, or the wrong attitudes that we are holding because we're not thinking as faithfully, biblically anyhow, about what the church is. Um, well, Acts 20 gives us the opportunity to continue that. It's coincidental. It wasn't intentional. Uh, but in these, these two, past, these two uh, sermons I will preach, and from this farewell section, we, we have an opportunity to, to do that again, to remember the nature of the church so that we can be faithful in, uh, faithful in our uh, service in the church, in our assessment, expectations of church life um, as we have our, our thinking of, of church life conditioned by the scriptures. We get to do this as we uh, ponder the implications uh, of Paul's words to these elders. So, so Paul is leaving this region now. He's, he's wanting to head towards Jerusalem. Um, in, the, in the speech itself, Paul mentions a number of times that as far as he is concerned, he, he, he thinks that he may not be he will not be returning to see, he doesn't think he'll be returning to see these particular elders again, I think, actually, and that's because Paul expects that this is the next, this next phase of his ministry could possibly lead to his death because of the level of persecution he expects to encounter when he um, arrives at Jerusalem. And, and um, So Paul is, is actually facing up to the possibility that this is a mission that will lead to his death. And so these, these words that he speaks um, to the Ephesian elders, they have the sort of, um, <clears throat> uh, they, they have the, the seriousness of someone who's making a kind of farewell, farewell statement. I, I won't be seeing you after this, so um, imagine that these are, you know, his last words. It's, it's probably the case that he does see them again. But you can imagine that for the apostle, they're almost like that, like his last words. So you can imagine the seriousness of that. And, and, and essentially, Paul is concerned to make sure, because Paul doesn't think, and he knows that he is not the sum of the church in the slightest, but he, he's concerned to make sure that after he departs, faithful ministry in the church continues, and the church continues to um, glorify Jesus Christ and to preach the gospel, to teach the gospel and to, to, to make disciples. And, and show people the way to God and lead people to God. Um, and so he's concerned to make sure Paul is aware, as he will say in this speech, that that can very often be threatened and interrupted. Even for someone like Paul who has done such faithful ministry, that uh, faithful gospel preaching can sometimes be threatened by, Paul would call them, wolves will try and come into the church. And so he, Paul wants to stress uh, what is how, the importance of, of faithful gospel ministry. And he does this by calling to himself the elders. 
He addresses the elders. And so, yes, Acts 20 reads like a, a good, almost instruction manual for men who might want full call to ministry and for pastors, absolutely. Um, there's key instruction there. But Paul is not just addressing um, the Ephesian elders. At least he's not addressing them, surely, just for their sake. He's, he's addressing them for the sake of the church. So, yes, we get to reflect on, on elders, but we, we reflect on elders so that we can have a better understanding of what it is to be part of the church. And Paul's words to elders are um, really, in that sense, then, words to the church in general um, to, t- to tell us uh, about, they tell us something about the nature of the church. They tell us something about the duty of the church. Um, and so that's what <clears throat> we'll do the, I'll do with you these, these two weeks tonight, just looking at what Paul's words to the Ephesian elders tell us about the nature of, the nature of, el- of what it is to be an elder, of course. But as I say, by import, it's the nature of the church as well. Um, <clears throat> and then next week, what Paul's words tell us about the duty of of, of elders, but then, by implication, the duty of the church. Uh, because elders are part of the church. Elders are not a separate entity from the church. So anyhow, what those things that would be faithfully or um, rightly de- described as, say, for example, the duty of the elder is, in one sense, the duty of the church, because the elder is, is part of the church. And um, so, yes... We look at the, the nature and the duty of, 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 of eldership. Uh, but today, looking at the nature, what, does Paul, what, is, what are Paul's words? And Paul stresses the idea of example here. You know, it's, it's by example. A lot of what Paul says here is, listen, he's almost a, can be summarized by him saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul's saying, this is, um, look how I've lived. And so model it because it's, it's a faithful gospel model. Um, so some of the things that we just learn about what Paul wants us to, to know about the church, we learn just by him explaining his example or telling his story. A lot of the stuff here is autobiographical. He talks about the hardships and the way he's lived among them. And those things, he, uh, clearly Paul wants them to make an impression upon these elders that he's talking to so that they also carry that into their own um, calling as elders, and then so that that is then an example for the church in its entirety to follow. So what does Paul tell us about the nature of of church leadership? You know, it's possible for folks to model either their expectation of what a church church elder is, or... um, or, or the, the meaning of what a church elder, church leader is, by all kinds of other blueprints, you know? At one point, for example, in long time in the history of the church, the, actually, not, I say long time, not long time, even now in some places, the, 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 you might say that the pastor was like a, a priest. Um, he was a priest. He was thought of as a priest. He, 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 he was like... You know, in the Old Testament, the priest is like this um, mediator between a man and God. So the priest is, in the Old Testament, the priest was responsible for the cultic activity, the worship, the religious activity. Um, he, he, he made, he ran, he, he made worship run, right? So when people had 
prayers, when people wanted to pray, they wanted to make prayers, when people wanted to um, uh, make offerings, the, 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 the priest was there. He, was, he, he seemed like the way, the, 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 the medium between the man and God. You know, you bring your offering to the priest and he would um, orchestrate the sacrifice and then, you know, God will accept you through the... And so the priest was uh, a mediator and some folks have treated the New Testament believers like he was a, even probably worse than an Old Testament priest. But like he was the mediator, and you know, um, we, we know of, you, you know, confession boxes, you think of Roman Catholicism, and Roman Catholicism has a particularly um, distasteful, um, they, they call their church leaders priests. So it's, it, the, the error there is evident, and you see that in Roman Catholicism. And, but, but even in non-Roman Catholic organizations, sometimes the priest, the, the pastor, he might not be named priest, but he's functioning like one. You know, folks think that the pastor's prayers are, you know, get to God quicker than theirs. Um, and pastors basically tell folks what the will of God is for their lives. Um, you know, people go to pastors expecting to know God's will from what the pastor says. The pastor's like a priest. And yet, this is an um, unbiblical representation of what the church, the pastor is, according to the New Testament. You never see that, you never see it represented that way. Whatever way, however way we've come about that, you never see it represented that way. And through the years, all kinds of different roles have been ascribed to the pastor. Sometimes pastors are like managers, you know, sometimes managers are like, they're like CEOs or something. And you have pastors who just have strong leadership and um, leadership models and they're like, they, they know how to run an organization and stuff. And I'm not saying that managing skills cannot be helpful, but a pastor is not a CEO. You're going to run into trouble if you think of the pastor as a CEO. Or you think of the pastor as a, like a, a therapist. And the pastor's job is, is to be a therapist, and um, he's, he's meant to be able to counsel in all issues of life and all matters of life um, and have expertise. And so all of a sudden, the pastor becomes the one who is going to provide good counsel for everything, even though there's many things that actually, to be honest, the pastor's not going to be good at or doesn't have good advice about. And you should really just go to someone else in the church about it. But the pastor is placed in that position. And, um, uh, and sometimes, I mean, I think you think in, in parts of America especially, maybe, you know, the pastor is like a, maybe the pastor could be is a civil rights activist, for example. Or is a, is a, he's an academic, you know. I, I've lost count of the amount of reverence in America that don't reverend anything. They, they, they don't preach the scriptures. They don't, they don't know the Bible too well. Um, they're involved in everything else apart from the basic description of what it is to be a pastor. Um, and that's a huge, that's inevitably going to cause huge problems for the church because it means we've drifted from our mission. Um, and th that pastor is, that person is not going to be relying on, on the grace of Jesus Christ to accomplish these things that Christ hasn't commanded him to accomplish. Of course, he's not going to be relying on the grace of Christ. And then he's a poor example of what Christ wants him to be. Um, and, and, uh, but, but we read a, a book like Acts 20, and we're reminded of exactly what the pastor is meant to be, what the church leader is, is meant to be. He's not essentially any of those other things I just mentioned, right? He's not portrayed as a priest. He's not portrayed as a therapist, uh, psychologist. 
not portrayed as an educator, as an academic. Um, that's, a, that's another lie. Um, he's not portrayed as any of these things, as an activist. Even if there's elements of that, you might say there's elements in that stuff of his work, perhaps. But that's not what the Bible portrays the elder as. The Bible calls him, the elders here, calls them, verse 28, Paul says they are overseers. They are overseers who shepherd the church. That word overseer is, is where we get sometimes, it can be translated the word bishop, is where we get the word bishop from, um, the bishop. Uh, and actually what you find there then is that in the New Testament, all those words are interchangeable. Pastor, elder, bishop. Well, no one really uses bishop like that anymore, but yeah, overseer, shepherd, all the same thing, right? The pastor is not either the one person who speaks from the pulpit, right? This like one-man band where there is a significant figure who everyone thinks it's his ministry, that's not a biblical thing either. You notice in verse 17, Paul calls the elders of the church, right? Ne- never do you get the sense in the New Testament there is this one central figure who is meant to be the only leader of the church, as far as elders and pastors are concerned. It's not a biblical thing either. Um, actually, the Bible expects... Now, there, there may be some folks in, the, in that team of elders who are called to preach uh, and who, who, um, who focus on that aspect of, of ministry in a way that others don't. There is biblical um, premise for that. But there's no biblical premise for treating one elder as, as superior to another, as being the superior elder in that sense, or... Um, you know, the way the Bible teaches it is that churches, God's churches are led by a group of men who are called to shepherd his flock by preaching the word, or teaching the word to them and being a faithful example. That is it. And that's, that's not as basic as you think it is because when you, if you recognize that, then you recognize the aberrations of that. You would recognize when folks are, are doing church um, according to their own design, as opposed to how Christ, how, how the Lord has designed it for us, right? Um, these church leaders, this is how the church is to be run. Very important to say that. That, that the church is to run like this. When I say run, I don't mean to be run by elders, but this is how the church should look like. A faithful church is a church that has a group of, 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 of elders, or seeks to have at least a group of elders. I'm not saying a church cannot exist where there are not elders. You know, if something was to happen to myself and Elder Andrew today, this church would still be existing. But then if this church was to be faithful to its calling, it would pursue that. It would seek elders faithful men who are called to oversee the church's life, who are called to, to they're called to guide the people, um, uh, God's people, who God bought with his own blood. Um, and they're not, they're not CEOs in the slightest. They, they, they don't, they're not, as I said in the, in, in the sermon this morning, they're not more important than anyone else in the congregation. Imagine that. They're on the same level as everyone. They just have a greater responsibility of service. Now, of course, the Bible tells us in other passages then, then that the way to respond to the service of elders is by submission. There's no, no doubt about that. But it's not painting the picture that these folks have, um, they, they, have they, they rule without question. It's not painting the picture that these folks are superior to anyone else. It's not painting the picture that elders in the church um, rule by their own authority. No, they, they, 
they, they simply carry out the authority that Christ places upon the church. Um, so it's important for us to know that how, how, how Christ has designed, what Christ has designed his church to look like. Because over, very often nowadays, people are popping up in places and calling what they do church, but ignoring biblical instruction as to what that can look like, what that should look like. Folks are, are popping up everywhere, calling themselves pastors or leaders, church leaders or elders, um, or titles that God never gave his, you know, never asked his people to have, or titles that are inconsistent with how Christ designed this church. And it's important for us to know that so that we can contend for the purity of the gospel, so that we, 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 we can contend for um, faithfulness as far as what is called, uh, as far as what it is to be the church. So that's the, the nature, that's the, the office that, that Christ has designed um, for his church. These men who are called to, to shepherd his people. Um, another thing about the nature of, of church leaders and elders is, 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 is how they qualify to be elders. They, the main qualification is by their character, and you're going to see this. I mean, next, next week I'll talk a bit more about the duty but, you know, you cannot miss that when Paul decides to commend, the, commend himself to the elders, when Paul just decides to motivate the elders, to tell them what they should be like, the one thing he stresses is their character. He also stresses the duty of preaching the word. But the other thing alongside that duty of preaching the word is Paul makes, says a lot about character, both directly telling them this is the kind of people you should be, but also saying to them, but also imp, uh, indirectly by saying, look at the kind of person I've been. You know, there's, there was nothing like, nothing like the character. So how, what is it like to, to find, how, how do you find a, a capable elder? How do you recommend a good elder? You, you, you look at the character. You look at their character. Of course, you look also, as we'll see next week, you look at the ability to teach the word, that's one part of it, but equally, you look at the character. And by character, you're talking about the extent to, the, to which this person is an example of, of Jesus Christ, or an example of Christ-centeredness, an example of the, the centrality of the gospel. That's the important thing. You're going to look for men of, of a good character. And there's many things, you know, in the epistles, of course, you have passages that almost seem to imitate this. You know, there's passages that heavily focus, First Timothy, Titus, they hone in on this idea of what the elder should be like. But there's some qualifications here that you see um, in this passage. Let me, let, me, let me bring them to your attention. And these things are, are what you expect to find in, in, in an elder or a man who's, who says he's called to be an elder or someone who wants to be an elder. Um, one of the things I would say initially, is how the, the, you, Paul makes it clear that this is it's a calling. You know, we should be seeking to see that God has called um, this, whoever wants to call, call this person to be an elder. We should be seeking to say, okay, is God directing this person? There should be that sense. There's no suggestion that we can't both say that and sometimes get it wrong. You know, sometimes we can say, okay, this person, God has called this person to be an elder, but they might make, they might, they might not discharge their duties faithfully. 
they might abuse the opportunity that God gave them. Yes, maybe God called them to be an elder. God called this person to be a pastor, gave them the gift, but they failed to um, they failed to work on their gifts as they should. You know, Paul says to Timothy, stir up the gift that is in you. So it's not like a pastor can just say, okay, I'm called to be a pastor, and I'm going to, you know, the pastor has to work on himself. Paul says in verse um, uh, 28, uh, pay careful attention to yourself. You see what I'm saying about character? The, 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 the elders, the greatest qualification, the greatest thing about the nature of the elder is that they, they take they pay close attention to themselves. So the faithful elder must have healthy, um, healthy devotional habits, must be someone who is actively mortifying the flesh. They must take their holiness seriously. They must, you know, discipline in, in praying, must be meditating the scriptures, finding ways to memorize on the script, to memorize the scriptures. Take heed to yourself. They, they, they make wise decisions so that they don't come under the influence of that which will um, that which will take them away from the path of the gospel. Take care of yourselves. You can't take care of the flock of God if you don't take care of yourself. You can't pour out into these other folks and encourage them, edify them if you don't first take serious, pay serious attention to yourself. Right? It's, it's the character. I remember when I was in seminary, one of the, the, the well, I can't remember his name now, but he used to, to lead our pastoral theology sessions, and he'd always say, that, you know, the pastor, the, the role of the elder or the pastor is, is like no other, because there's, no other, there's not many other um, uh, jobs or callings in this world where your character is so vital to what you're doing. You know, sometimes, you see a musician, for example, you're a politician or you're a footballer, you can be caught up in all kinds of terrible things, and and it doesn't, and it might not, it never threaten your, your, your calling, or your office, or your duty, or your job. You can, you can, you know, obviously some things will, but there's many things you can just be doing, and people are going to be like, okay, that's up to him. That's his, that's his kind of morality or whatever. It's not the same thing for the pastor, right? Paul says his character, he has to be blameless. Um, but in verse 28, Carrying on, he says, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So this sense, at least for the church, those ministers, Paul says, I guess maybe for them, maybe there was a, a prophetic calling upon their lives, perhaps. Paul says, remember that it's the Holy Spirit that called you to this. So somehow the, the church must strive to recognize that God has a, his hand upon this person's life. Right? When I, when I first visited HRC, this is our church now, um, I was preaching a bit, I was preaching, doing a Bible studies here and there, whatever, and I met our late, he's not here now, our late, late elder house, our, our elder's um, late father, and um, we, we knew each other for a while, and when I was telling, I was thinking about what to do next in my life and so on, and he said, he'd known me well enough, heard me preach or whatever, and he said, you know, I think there's a calling upon your life, right? It was important for him to be able to say with a good conscience that he thinks there's a sense that God is leading me to be a minister. Right? There must be that sense. The church, however we come up, you know, I'm not saying it's some mystical, um, just some mystical, airy-fairy thing, abstract thing. 
you know, it can be quite, quite concrete. But however we see this in this person's character and maybe some things that have happened in Providence, partially, not entirely, because we sometimes place a weight that this was not meant to be, but partially the way they teach, crucially, well, only partially, not just because someone can teach and make them an elder, but that as well. We take all these things in total and say, hey, there's a calling upon your life, you know, to, to be an elder, called by the Spirit. So that we, we, when, we, when, we, when we see elders or when we feel like, oh, this is someone that God has called, and when we, when we encourage them or when we look at it, we say, remember, this is God that placed you here. So make sure you don't serve lazily. You know, how, how, does a, why, how does an elder motivate himself, or partially anyway, by knowing this is God that placed me here. Like, I have to labor as someone who has been called by God, even though people can't see me. I need to remember that this is God's calling upon the church. So the elder is, is someone who's he's called. We have this sense. They have this sense. That, yeah, God is calling me to, to work for him in a unique way through the church. Mm-hmm. The other things that Paul then tells us, some other things that Paul tells us about the character, what you're looking for in an elder. Notice in verse 17, 18, you yourselves know how I lived among you. This is what I was saying about Paul always presenting his example. You know the kind of person I was. It's not just, I'm not just telling you, you see it. You see, that's a different thing, a different way in which these things work in the life of the church. It's not just by word only. I see from your example You know how I was among you the whole time, from the first day. From the first day. Paul expects a certain consistency as well. From the first time I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility. The the pastor must be a humble person. Someone who um, is not boastful, not prideful. That's what it is to be an elder. You're looking for an elder, you're looking for someone who is going to be humble who's not going to think that they're better than other people, who's, who's, who's going to recognize that they're called to serve. And, and that way, they can take criticism without imploding. That way, they can, they can admit when they're wrong and apologize for the things they've done wrong. That way, they can not feel like if, if someone in the church doesn't agree with my suggestion or something, or my opinion, of course, if it's the scriptures, is one thing. They cannot feel like, okay, you, you're not doing what I tell you to say, and so um, I'm going to have to make life a living hell from you. The pastor has to be humble. Um, Paul says, I was, I was humble among you. The pastor's not someone that thinks they're better than anyone else. Paul says, I was humble because you saw me, I was serving with tears. I didn't look like someone who was superior to you. Actually, you saw me cry a lot. You saw me feeling quite frail. And that's who you are. The, the pastor is meant to give, the elder is to give to his people this sense that, you know, he, he's depending on the grace of God. He's really depending on God's grace. He's nothing without God's grace. You know, he's, he's not going to, um, yeah, that's, that's a, Paul says, I was frail. I, I didn't strike you as someone who was going to tear you down. Another thing that characterizes this pastor, although they're quite, the pastor to be humble has to be bold, has to have courage and conviction. 
Paul says, verse 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I'll stress this a bit more next week. But the point is, I preached the truth to you, even when it wasn't fashionable. Even if it wouldn't be nice to hear. I didn't shrink from that. Verse 20, publicly and house to house, my concern, I was, and Paul makes a similar point later on as well. I did not shrink. I was, I was, um, I, 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 I was faithful to tell you what had to be said. The pastor must be someone who has that boldness, that, who has that courage, who has that conviction. Um, that is not going to twist the truth to, to make it suit people, um, to soothe ears. We, we look for a certain boldness about the, about the minister. The minister must not be a lover of money. Must not be a lover of money. Notice... What Paul says in, in verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Paul, he, he I don't want to say boast, but he, he says, you know how I had integrity in matters of, of money. All right? In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So the minister is someone who is not a lover. Later on in Paul's uh, teachings, he says that he must not be a lover of money. He must not give you the sense that his aim uh, is to use ministry to make himself wealthy. He must not give you that sense um, that he's just using this to try and make more money. Um, he must not give you the sense that he's, he's controlled by material stuff. We must not see that he is, must not give a sense of materialism. He, he loves, he loves to, he loves to stand out. He loves, he, he loves uh, his, his luxury. He must not give you the sense that he can't live without luxury. Am I saying that if a, if a minister has a drip or whatever, it means that they're not Christians or they're not a faithful minister? I'm not saying that. But you must be able to see if, does this, is this person, this minister is, is he controlled by it? Um, is, he, is, he, is he defined by it? Is this person willing to tone down his drip so that he doesn't appear like uh, he's, he's a lover of money? Or is he bound by this? Is, he, is this person in debt because that's what they're spending their money on, on luxury? I have to say that because I don't want you to give an unnecessarily hard time to, to ministers. You don't, don't condemn people and judge people. You have to be, judge righteous judgment. You don't always know how people... Have, have made their money, you don't know always how, you know, I'm not saying that the moment you see someone and he has a nice car, you have to condemn him, I'm not saying that, um, but he can't be a lover of money, and the church must test his character. In particular, Paul is saying, I did not use ministry as a means to make money, and you know what, a lot of the pastors who have drip is exactly what they did. I didn't fleece you, I didn't, I didn't exploit you, a lot of the pastors who have Jets, and that's exactly what they did. There's no doubt about it. They exploited the people to make their wealth. You know, obviously, they'll always come with a backstory and say, no, 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 I was doing this before. What were you doing? But Paul is saying, be on, on guard for that. A minister who's clearly using his, his pulpit or to, to fleece the people. Another, another way you know that a man is not a lover of money is generosity. Paul says, 
In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak. I was concerned to help those who were in need. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so I'm not saying that a minister must go around showing off his philanthropy or whatever, or his charity. But, you know, part of a minister's character has to be that he's generous and wanting to give to those who are in need. And that he has learned this lesson. He's mastered this. It is better to give than to receive. And so that's why maybe he doesn't have certain luxury or drip because he's learned that principle. I don't need that when I can give it away. And it's better for me not to have if I can give. This is the character. When we're looking for elders or we're looking for people who have a heart to give to those who are in need, the elder must not be miserly or stingy. I know we don't, we probably don't hear that enough, but the Bible is very clear about it. Um, let me say this last thing. The elder must realize the weightiness of the calling. They must give you that sense that this is a, this is a matter of life and death. You know, at one point, Paul says, let me, let me read from verse, uh, from verse 24. Paul says, um, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was saying to them, he's about to go on a missionary journey that thinks he will end in his death, but he's going to go anyway because proclaiming the gospel is more valuable to him than his life. And in that sense, I think he was saying to the elders, remember the, the, the weightiness of what it is to be a pastor. It's even more important than your life itself. You must be willing to forsake your life if it came to the question of whether you would trade the gospel for it. The minister must recognize the weightiness of it. Another way in which Paul says is, he says, in um, verse 26, therefore I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all. What does he mean? I'm innocent of the blood of all. He was never a, sh- a military man. What he means is he felt like if he didn't preach the gospel faithfully to these folks, if he didn't warn them as he ought to have, if he ever twisted the truth so that these guys were not misguided, he would be guilty of their blood. It's a matter of life and death. But now, because I preach faithfully to you, I thank God I'm innocent of your blood. If anyone, he's referencing the watchman of Ezekiel, if anyone perishes after my ministry among you, it's not because of anything I did. It's not because I didn't warn you or teach you or show you the truth. But blood, I'm innocent of your blood because it's a weighty matter to preach the gospel. To be a church leader is a matter of life and death. And the pastor must have that conviction. And that's the reason why he doesn't shrink. And that's the reason why he always proclaims the truth. Well, let me say this in closing. One, this ought to move you to reflect on how we should be praying for elders. How should we pray? When we're praying for those who are elders, when we're praying for those who, or if we want elders, we're desiring elders, or we're praying for someone who feels they're called to be an elder. This is, these things should, they should fuel your prayers. Right? You pray for the character of those men. Of course, you pray for the spirit to empower their preaching. I'll say that again next week. Because I'm trying to make you see that I'm not separating these things. But you pray especially for their character. You pray for them to be kept faithful. You pray for God to continue to work on their heart. Because what we must not do is, is suggest that what the Bible is saying is that the pastor is someone who has any of these virtues perfectly. 
It's, it's not the Bible saying that the pastor is someone who doesn't sometimes show pride or is sometimes show miserliness. We must not do that because then we will have no pastors or elders. But the pastor is someone who must be putting these things to death and growing and maturing and we're seeing them walking the step of grace. And because on the, on the other side, on the flip side, if they're not and these things take a hold of them and a minister's life is marked by stinginess or selfishness, or a minister's life is marked by, by, by pridefulness, then they can make a whole ruin of their ministry. So this is how we pray. We pray for men who are being formed deeply within, in their character, being made more like Christ. We pray for men who will be kept from the love of money uh, and not feel like they have, to get all their, they have to get all their wealth and fortune in this world, but will realize, no, there's, there's a true treasure that doesn't fade away. And that's what I'm, I'm heading towards. And we pray, and we say, God, send us such men. We don't pray for managers or CEOs. We don't pray for PhDs. PhDs are nice, but we don't pray for that. Even in theology, we don't pray primarily for that. We pray for men of a certain ilk, spirit-filled men, who will model Christ-likeness for us. Um, and so this should, this should remind you, and such a weighty calling. Who is capable of these things? But well, God gives grace. So we pray for them that they will fulfill their calling. And the other thing I want to say by way of application tonight, would you have been listening to this sermon properly if you have been listening? Would you have been listening to this sermon properly if all you thought about was me or Elder Andrew or someone else in this place who you think might want to be an elder or some other elders? Would you have been listening to this sermon properly? Could you really have been hearing the call to humility and think, oh, that's only something Kanye needs? and not have to search your own heart? Could you have been hearing me speak about how God calls his people to serve? And you say, okay, only, only Elder K has to worry about a calling. I don't have to worry about my calling to serve. Could you have been hearing me speak about the boldness to speak for Christ and think that only applied to me, and not you? And could you, have, could, you, could you have listened to the sermon properly and not felt, oh, have I been bold enough to speak for Jesus? Could you have been hearing about the call to integrity and how we must not use God's good gifts as a means for abuse and not be saying to yourself, I must not do the same? Could you have been hearing me say that a minister must not be a lover of money and say, ah, oh, thankfully, only Kenny needs to worry about that, but me, I'm going to love mammon away. Could you have been hearing me say to preach and to stand for the gospel is a weighty calling? That a minister must be willing to give his life even before he trades in the gospel of Jesus and not say, that's the kind of life I must live. Could you have been hearing me say that Paul's words to the elder is, your character is what matters the most. Not, not just your gifts, but your character. And not believe that that's crucial for you. Could you have been hearing this sermon properly? Could you have been hearing this sermon profitably if you did not also see how the words that, seem, that do apply to the elder absolutely apply to you, my brothers and sisters? How could you sit there and pray and long for the spirit to work in the life of the elder or those who are called to be elders? Shape them. Make them more like Christ. Make them long for you. Deliver them, Lord, from um, uh, um, sins of the flesh 
Deliver them from the love of money. Help them to grow in the knowledge and a passion for the gospel. Give them the boldness to speak about. How could you pray that way for your elder without also desiring the same for you? And so my point tonight, as I will be saying next week, is that Paul is not just speaking to El. He is, but he's telling us what the church must be. And as we pray for elders and pray for our elders and we pray for men of God around Remember, this is what the church is meant to be. This is our desire for the church, that all of us be people who proclaim the gospel, not just in our words, but also in our character. Because what is at stake? The gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, what was at stake, if these elders are not faithful, is Jesus being proclaimed and his people being edified. That's what is at stake. And that's the same thing that is at stake if you and I as disciples are not being made more like Christ. And what I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, if you can hear me, if you can hear for a second the weightiness of the calling, the, the desperateness of the calling of the elder, how much the elder needs to be depending on the grace of Jesus Christ, I hope you can also hear then that that is the sense of the weightiness. Don't, don't, don't snooze. Don't press the snooze button on your Christian faith. It is not as it were, an easy thing to be a disciple. It's not an easy thing to be an elder, absolutely. It's a matter of life and death. But it's not an easy thing to be a disciple. It's a matter of life and death. The the, the, the pastor must be pressing for, must be pursuing maturity. The pastor has to pursue consistency. But the disciple must be pursuing maturity. And you must be pursuing consistency. And you know, Paul is essentially going to close this farewell speech by commending the elders to the grace of God. Because apart from God's grace in his word, you cannot find the strength to live this high calling. But is that not what I must commend to every single one of us? Rather than live mediocre, live in sincere Christian lives because we're doing things in our own strength, because we're disobeying the law of God, because we're not listening to the leading of the Spirit, we must humble ourselves, receive the grace of God, and live for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.